I'm one up and you're one down, and you're one up and I'm one down. And when we communicate with each other the way that we do in a sales conversation, we can both leave being a lot less down than when we started. And that's really the trick. Can you teach them and can you learn from them? And if you learn from them, even if their perspective is different, that perspective is going to help you with some other client in the future. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Anthony Iannarino. Anthony's an international speaker, best-selling author, entrepreneur, and sales leader specializing in the complex B2B sale. And in our conversation today, we're talking about Anthony's upcoming new book titled Elite Sales Strategies. Now, I always love talking with Anthony because, first of all, he's one of the smartest people I know in the whole sales profession, and I love the new perspectives he brings to the table because that's really what we need. We need new ways of looking at old challenges. So in this episode, we're diving into a new way of framing and assessing the value you bring to your buyers. Anthony calls it being one-up. You're in the one-up position when your knowledge and experience benefits your clients, which makes your expertise invaluable. One-up means seeking to solve the client's problems, especially those beyond the scope of your prepackaged solution. Now, the flip side we can get into of being one-up is being one-down, and Anthony shares what that means and how to avoid getting yourself into a one-down position relative to your buyers. So we get into all this and much, much more, but before we get to Anthony, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also leave us a review, give us your feedback about how we're doing. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Anthony, welcome to the show. It's always good to see you. And what what people listening to this don't know is that we just spent about 40 minutes just talking to each other because I enjoy talking to you so much. It was hard for us to get started. Right. And we don't get the chance to talk that often. So, um, yeah, it was great to catch up. All right. So can I go first? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Your new book is your very best book. I've said oh, this you. to you on on uh, email, and I've said it in writing. Yes, uh, yes and I just want you to know, like, this is absolutely your best book. It's, oh, thank you. It's so personal. Uh, it's funny. Uh, it's engaging. It's it's just uh, I don't know. Like it, it's true, uh, Andy Paul. Because I you're like me. Like you're reserved. Right. Right. But 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 not really. <laughs> It, it, yeah. And then in this book, it's just, it's so good. So congratulations on the book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, it was fun to write. Oh, I could tell by reading it. Yeah, yeah. And I had, a, I had the benefit of just a great editor who made it even that much more fun to work collaboratively some, with someone to do it, uh, which I didn't have on my first couple of books. Um, so that, that process in itself, I think, helped me produce a better book. The first time you get all the red back, though, you're like, this person doesn't understand what I'm doing. And then you read it a second time and you're like, this is really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I overwrote a lot, right? So I, I've, I, the next book, a lot of it's written already because <laughs> we took it out of this one and made it a much more concise book. I always have too much to say. So my my first editor said, if somebody can say something in five hundred words, you can say it in fifteen hundred. Yeah, I have that problem too. 
Yeah, my 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 son is always pointing that out to me. So uh, who works with me on my my LinkedIn posts? It's like he'll he'll shoot them back to me and say, "Yeah, what? Take some of these words out." <laughs> so I have lots of editors around. Me too. All right. Well, we're going to talk about uh, your new book coming up, which is also a very entertaining book. I, I think I told you as I I took so many notes on the first three chapters, it was like okay. We're just going to talk about those today. Um, That'll probably be enough. Be enough. So let's talk about your new book, Elite Sales Strategies. So tell us basically what it's about, and then we'll get into the details. Well, the the book is about a concept called one-up. And uh, it is is not one-upmanship, but it's sort of a derivation of that. So it's not not this. It's not, Andy, did I meet you at Columbia in 1996 when I was getting my PhD there? I, I kind of remember. I, did I meet you at the Kappa Gamma thing? Like, a, right? And, and, and Andy's like, I didn't go to Columbia, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's just trying to put somebody down. But, right. but that is not the concept. The concept is really that when somebody goes out into the world and helps other people get a result, and they've got this deep domain experience. They've, they've figured out how to help people make really good decisions. That person is generally in the one-up position when they're sitting across from their client. Mm-hmm. And the client is in the one-down position, not because they're not super smart, they're not right. super competent. Of course they are. They're all of those things. But they only make this decision, what, every seven years or ten right. years or something like right. that. So they don't have a good way to make a decision because they don't know what they don't know. And they expect you as the salesperson, right, to be able to help guide them through that decision. Mm-hmm. But what we've taught and trained people for, for, and I'm, I'm going to let you argue with me on this one. I'm going to say 40 years. Sure. Okay. I'm going to say 40 years. So on the long end, you could go to 54 years, which would be the beginning of Sandler, right? So right. that's that's that. And then maybe from 19... 19- 1988, you take Neil Rackham as the start of sort of a solution selling kind of thing. Yeah. And you go, for that period of time, we've not done this this way. We've we've done it in a way where there was information disparity, mm-hmm. but we still act like the information disparity is something very different than it is. Like when you show up and you start talking about your company – and your CEO, who's amazing, right, Andy? It has to be amazing and amazing. a well, legendary story. In the garage, don't forget. And started in the garage, of course. Right. And then your logos and then your solutions and all of these kinds of things. There's no information disparity there. <laughs> There's no information disparity. They can go to your website now and find that. So it's not very helpful to walk them through that. And mostly they're not looking for a history lesson on your company. They're They're not very interested in that. But they are in fact, interested in trying to get better results. And and the way that we've approached selling for a long time has mostly been around this idea, uh, one of two sort of ideas, is that we have to tell them all these things so they trust us, which mm-hmm. would have been true, you know, 120 years ago. You're right. Nobody knows anybody, and there's nothing to see outside there. And we haven't spent enough time figuring out where is the information disparity. And now it's more about sense-making and helping people understand what's going on in the world, what impact it's going to have on their business, mm-hmm. how they should start adjusting. 
And the way that I think of it, Andy, is it's like you have to give them this paradigm shift. And I know when Challenger came out, people are like really excited about insights. Insights are, are not, not the, the most important thing. It's the removal of false assumptions. It's bringing them up to reality, like what's happening mm-hmm. right now and what they should do. And giving them that paradigm shift to say like what you believed for the last 10 years, when you believed that, that was true. Only these things have now happened, and these forces are now working on us, so there's another way to do it. Right. And we don't spend a lot of time teaching or training salespeople to have this conversation because we're too worried about marketing, who wants to tell the company's story, and product, who says, listen, Andy, uh, all you have to do is tell them about the features and benefits, and this thing sells itself, Right. Hasn't that always been true for you? Like you could get well, a good product. Yeah. <laughs> well, also this whole idea of this sort of the prepackaged commercial insight. I mean, yeah. I agree with you. I, for me, I've always used the terminology as a, you want to change their paradigm. Yeah. And how they're thinking about their problem and the way they can solve it, get it solved. Insights, and especially the way they sort of being deployed these days, it's like it's like that. Let me show how clever we are, right? To a degree. Yeah. I think that's right. And I, I also think that when it comes from marketing, it's not the same as if you actually have it in your body. You right. know, like if, if you're going out and so you're talking to people and, and you realize Andy's doing it this way because these factors are true for him. You're like, well, we want to do it the way Andy does it. Well, you don't have those factors. So you have mm-hmm. to do it another way because you have this other thing that you need to consider. And we don't teach salespeople enough about that because when, once we get to what I would call the commoditized, I mean, perfectly commoditized discovery call. Right. Uh, that, that it's perfectly commoditized. And if you were to take two salespeople, one goes in on Tuesday and talks to a, a senior leader and tells them about the company, tells them about their CEO, tells them about their logos, all of that stuff. And then you have another person come in on Thursday and you would ask that, that decision maker, what was the difference between the two? They would say the person that came on Tuesday was taller and had lighter hair, and the one that came in on Thursday has a red logo. Right. I mean, and that's all they can remember. Like, it was the same conversation. What's your problem? Our solution happens to solve that. Congratulations. Uh, not a great experience for the client. Yeah, and I – well, explore that, the concept of the commoditized discovery because I, I like that. Because I, I liken most discovery these days because – may have the influence of playbooks and, hey, here's our list of questions we ask. Or or maybe a seller just gets accustomed and maybe a bit lazy with their questioning. Is that most discovery is really just about, it's like survey taking. Uh, which variety of this problem do you have? Because right. I have a solution for it. And exactly. I mean, that's the whole gist of it is trust me. And if you can't trust me, trust my company, you know, in, in all the things that we're going to tell you about what makes us great. And then go right after the problem. And I don't even understand why we ask the question at all, to be honest with you. Like if you already are sitting across from a senior leader and you don't know what problems you're supposed to be solving for them and you ask them, you should be embarrassed. Like you don't have a theory about what kind of problems they're having and what kind of forces are working on their business. And you do this every day and you've talked to hundreds of people over the last year or two years Mm -hmm. and you don't have a hint. So you have to ask that person that it's, I just think it's a terrible approach that it is now completely commoditized because everybody's doing the same solution selling in the same variety in the same way. And even in the same order, 
And and when you ask them, like, just take the first eight slides and put them at the back. <laughs> the, the, they're, they're lost. Like, right. well, then, then how are they going to trust me? Well, hopefully something good comes out of your mouth and into their ears that they think is really useful for making a good decision in the future. That would be one of the things that you would try to do, right? Well, I think that to your point before about is but discovery is that's all sort of the same is that we're training the customers to be superficial in the responses they give to. Yeah, absolutely. And what's well, the 300th time they've done it, right? Right. And so if you then wonder why they decide not to do anything, it's because no one gave them a reason to the, the Christopher Hitchens uh, picture behind me, uh, Christopher Hitchens would tell you two things. When you write something, tell the truth. And the only sin that you should really try to avoid is don't be boring. Like, don't be boring. And right. if you keep doing the same thing that everyone else has done and you're like, we're going to differentiate, how are you going to do that? We're going to differentiate on our product or our solution. You mean the one that's just like your competitors? Mm-hmm. Exactly <laughs> yeah. like your competitors. It, the experience has to be different now. And, and the concept of being one up is I'm going to have a different approach. I'm going to differentiate on value creation. And the value creation is how much help can I give you making a decision that will absolutely guarantee that you get the results that you need over time. And, and that's right. it. So you, they're trying to make a decision to get better results. They're not trying to buy anything. Yep. They, they want to have a conversation about the better results. So this is the Theodore Levitt, people don't buy drills, they buy holes. Buy holes, right. And, and we still want to sell the drill. And they're like, well, the drill is yellow. It looks like you could work on a construction site. and <laughs> It's reversible. And you're like, I don't want to drill at all. Like, I, I need greater market share. I need greater revenue growth. Yep. I, need, I need something other than your SaaS product. And that's it. Well, so when go back to this idea that you're talking about is, you know, I love the way you sort of frame partially because I look at the same way is that, is that, you know, this basic agreement you have with, with buyers is you're going to, they're going to give you time. You have to give them something in exchange for the time they invest in you. That's right. And in the absence of that, how are you creating a, an experience? Well, the experience you're creating is one that's not positive. Let's say that. I, I think it it ran out of steam. Um, I mean, and I think that's true for a lot of things. And you're still young, but not yes. quite as young as you were at one time. And you remember when when sales was more transactional because it worked, and then it, it became more consultative, and we moved into solution selling because transactional approaches didn't seem to work as well. So mm-hmm. we tried to evolve, and now we're evolving again. And we'll evolve again after this. And my opinion is the direction is towards more consultative approaches right. that are going to stretch salespeople who are going to have to do a lot more work to be valuable to senior leaders over time. If if you want to go and help people, you're going to have to know a lot more than you would have had to know, let's say, 15 years ago. Yeah, well, it's, I guess the heart of, of you know this Gartner study that came out a year or so ago saying, yeah, you know, buyers just don't want to talk to sellers, and I don't Some. think that's. I don't think they don't want to talk to sellers who can't provide more value than what they can find themselves. Right, and that seems and, like pretty a pretty low bar. And I, I, 
I've bought things. You have too, and and you've been through that experience where people they they do everything in the same order uh, with, mm-hmm. with the same sort of talk tracks, and there's there's nothing there about decision making. And and w- one of the things that you'll find in elite sales strategy a little bit later, if you're I'm not sure where you are in the book, but if the only advice that you have is buy our solution from us, you can be a hundred percent certain that you didn't create any value. I mean, if that was yes. the extent of the advice and recommendations you made through this process, right. you're not going to win that deal. Like you didn't do anything except pitch. Yeah. Well, as I call my book, that's the sellout, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you think your whole goal in life is to persuade somebody to buy your product. And so you're like, uh, you know, all the world's a nail and you're a hammer. That's, that's all we got. That's right. It's my solution. What else am I going to sell, Andy? I, uh, I was with a group this week, and I did a, an exercise with them. And there, there were five rules that they had to follow. So I was going to be their client, mm-hmm. and then we were going to do a role play. Uh, the first rule is you're not allowed to mention your company, not by name. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to describe what your company does. Right. Uh, number two, you're, you're not allowed to talk about your product or your solution at all. Mm-hmm. So you can't mention what you do. You're not allowed to build rapport. No rapport building. You can't ask about a problem. And uh, I had one other rule in there. And the first person that that tried it uh, did pretty well, but he couldn't get past not asking directly about the problem. And mm-hmm. at some point, he was doing really well. And then he's like, "Well, tell me your, about your problem." And I was like. Number five, you're out. Like, uh, and, and I let him go on for a little while. And as it turned out, the younger the people were that participated in this, the easier time they had doing it. And the longer that they'd been in sales, the harder it was for them to avoid going right into one of those, whether it was talking about, well, our company does this, or tell me about your problem. And it was really hard for them to have any conversation. So the younger people, they would get very close to swerving into the problem question. And, and mm-hmm. I can watch them want to, to do it. And then they would say something like, tell me what else concerns you or something. You know, they would try to find some other way to say it that right. was reasonable, that it wasn't a direct, direct ask. And we've trained people so well to figure out what the problem is, determine the pain point or the hot button, that that's all they think they need. And so, well, I'm going to help you find a problem. They have a, the problem that they have is outside of the problem that you can solve for them. I mean, there's other problems that they have. Am I going to be able to get the support of my team? Are we going to be able to build consensus? Are we going to be able to get senior leaders to, to go along with this? They have a whole bunch mm-hmm. of problems that they're trying to solve. And if you limit yours to like the only problem I solve is replacing this solution that you already have with mm-hmm. my solution, you're not generating a lot of goodwill or uh, a lot of value creation. And that's it. In fact, I think what we did for so long is now anti-value. Right. It, it actually takes away from the experience. Well, and I like the, the reference you make in the book about, because this is something I've written about before and I firmly believe is, is that sellers really are in a position of leadership. They should be. I mean, the idea about being one up is I know more than you do. So I should be leading you because I take people up the mountain all the time. And if you decide to go up the mountain on your own, 
it will end like a, a bad movie, you know, it'll have a very bad ending for the people that are trying to do it on their own. And I think the stats, if I'm, if I'm up to speed, 54% of companies that pursue a change initiative end with a no decision. So more than half. And yeah. I would, I would say that's our fault oh, because absolutely. we're not facilitating the buyer's journey in a meaningful way. And in yep. the book that shows up as a vantage point and you know, what's your vantage point? You've walked up the mountain and taken people up lots of times. You know where all the traps are. Mm-hmm. You know where all the problems are. They're doing it once every 10 years, every once every five years, whatever the number is. They don't know those things. You're supposed yeah, well, to be guiding them. Right. I mean, you have a line in the book. As you said, your basic script goes like this. I know something you don't know. May I share it with you? Yeah. That's the general gist of the book. Right. And I think that's, that's such a, a great clear perspective and it's not coming from this you know arrogant position that i know something it's just in this dimension right i am one up right and do i have your permission to share with you and the buyer will also be one up on things that you don't know that you will want to get to know and understand by going through the process with them and this this is what has changed in discovery from from my experience I'm going to ask you questions about your problem and you're going to tell me that. And then now I'm going to know what your problem is. Okay, good. But I think right now I have to help you discover something about yourself. I have to help you understand something about the reality that you're living with right now and what's possible for you. And if they don't learn something about themselves, then I don't think you can accomplish the why change effectively enough to get people to move forward. Right. And the fact that you know that they have a problem, like, well, they have a problem, so they're definitely going to do something. Well, then why don't they? <laughs> like, why do 54% of them not do that? Because you didn't give them enough help with their own buyers. It's not even a buyer's journey, uh, Andy. It's journeys. Like, there's yes. a bunch of people. All They're not aligned. No. And, and once you realize that, you realize your, your job as a leader is really different. You got to go help that person figure out. How are we going to get this group to agree on something? Yeah, one thing I've read recently that I think you may find interesting too is is it, it was an abstract of the study that was done back in the seventies by the sociologist about this you know the concept of strong ties, weak ties, mm-hmm. and what he was saying is that you know people within an organization know the same information, right? And so he called it the information they know becomes redundant. So when right. they're looking at making a decision on something to change, is they actually the software organizations know we need a, an outside perspective, right? Because we don't know what we don't understand, right? And That's so right. this idea of bringing in a salesperson that is a weak tie but has a different set of information is hugely valuable. I I think that that's exactly right, and I I, I also think that. When when you start thinking about this group think that everybody believes the same thing, you know, and they, they've right. all got the same information, you're ignorant about most things. Like you, you have very little domain authority in just about anything, and you have very little experience in most everything that is known. And when you when you need real help, you go to somebody who spent their whole life. You know, this is this is why I try to pitch people to read books. Right. Andy wrote a book. It's like 40 years of sales uh, wisdom, and for uh, 20-some dollars in six hours, 
uh, you're going to have a different perspective than you had that will help you make a better decision about Mm -hmm. what you do. And that's it. Like, it's the best thing is to go to somebody who spent all this time on this one thing just to be able to help other people do this. That's what we're trying to do is go be one up and then be one down, too. Because when you're one down and your client knows they're – when you say – who are the friendlies that are going to support this and who are we going to want to wait until we get some executive sponsors in the room before we bring them in? You don't know that, but mm-hmm. they do. They're going to go like, listen, Andy, don't bring Andy in here. He's a total <laughs> skeptic. Like he's going to start poking holes in everything. He's super smart and he's hard to argue with. And I, maybe we hold Andy off for a little while. <laughs> like, Just wait until a little, we get a little bit deeper into this. But they know all of that, right? right? They know what they can do. They know who's going to oppose it. And, and who they need and all of those things. You can't get that without asking them questions and letting them be one up and teach you what you one need to know to exactly. operate in their world, right? Right. Well, I, 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 I just love the, the way you phrase that, the one up, the one down, and the balance that you're basically striking. And having that perspective when you come in is having the intellectual humility when you come in yeah. to say, yeah, I may know something that you don't as we talked before, but if I'm really going to be able to help this buyer, they know things I don't, I need to understand what that is. Yeah. But it's not generally like, what's your problem? <laughs> no, it's not, what's your problem? Right. When, when I was or, uh, a kid, I'd been selling for maybe professionally, maybe for a year, right after my brain surgery, I was started calling on big companies in Columbus and I won a number of divisions of the limited, mm-hmm. uh, including a, a, one variety of their company called Structure. It was like a men's closing thing. And I was responsible for getting them like three to 400 people for their peak season. And I had a great mentor there. His name was Dallas Mulder. And Dallas was teaching me how to be a business person. Not not directly, but but just the conversations right. were making me a better. He was your customer. Better. He was yes, your customer. But I just want to make sure people understand he, that. He was teaching me. Like he's exactly. teaching me how to think. And he's inviting me to come to production meetings and I'm sitting in a production meeting and they're talking about throughput. Now Love I understand, story, by the way. I, 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 I understand the concept of throughput, but for, for me, I'm listening to them and it's a math thing for them. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, I, I understand like things have to come in one side and out the other side. That's about the extent of this. And I'm a little bit embarrassed to say anything. So I wait and I go sit down in Dallas's office, and I said, I understand what the concept of throughput is, but you guys are using it like it's math. And he goes, it is math. And I said, well, I need to know that math. And he said, well, let me show you the spreadsheet. And I see the spreadsheet, and I'm like, so I'm the labor, and then you're going to divide it by the production, and that's going to be your throughput numbers. And he said, yeah, that's exactly how it works. And I said, can I have a copy of that? So I, <laughs> I get a copy of it. I go to about three more meetings, and then I walk into another distribution center, and I said, uh, hey, can you guys tell me, like, what, what are your throughput numbers looking like? And, <laughs> and they're like, this guy knows what throughput is? <laughs> and like, he speaks our language. He's exactly. okay. And, and I, I only know, like, this much about this. I've just learned it right. over the past couple of weeks. But I was one down, like, desperately one down, trying to understand so I could be more helpful. And I could have a better relationship with these people, and I could serve them better. And now I'm I'm less one down. I'm still one down, but I'm not nearly as one down as I was before. 
you can't get that unless somebody gives you that knowledge and they transport it. So right. I'm one up and you're one down and you're one up and I'm one down. And when we communicate with each other the way that we do in a, in a sales conversation, we can both leave with a, a being a lot less down than when we started. And, and that's really the trick. Can you teach them and can you learn from them? And if you learn from them, even if their perspective is different, that perspective is going to help you with some other client in the future. Like you look at it and you say, exactly. I learned something here and I'm going to hold on to this because it gives me more nuance, which you would like because you're a nuanced guy too. Like this is going to fit here, but right. it won't fit over there and this is why. Well, and just by virtue of asking that question, you were perceived as having a certain level of acumen and credibility that you wouldn't have had otherwise if you had just come in and asked about the problem. Exactly right. Yeah, and, and I know. I know now. I knew the throughput is like that. That's a, a metric that they cared deeply about. Right. Uh, and it worked everywhere I used it. <laughs> I used yeah. it about five times in a row after that. So for people listening, this is he actually told a story from his book, his new book, Elite Sales Strategy. I noted that story. I thought it was a great story because it it just illustrates the point about paying attention, right? As your sellers, I mean, several points illustrates for me is one is I learned so much about how to sell from my customers because if you listen and if you ask the right questions, they will basically tell you how to sell to them. They will teach you. They'll, They'll teach, teach you. you how. Yeah, they yeah will that's teach what I meant. You they teach if you. you let them. If you let them. So if you're not so concerned about telling them how much you know, and I said, have this position of intellectual humility that you approach things with. Yeah, you, <laughs> you'll be given the keys to the kingdom by your the customers. Way, the, the way that I generally start a conversation is with an executive briefing. And my first thing that I would say is, Andy, I know you're paying attention to the same sort of things that we're paying attention to. And I'm going to ask you to share your perspective with me because what might be showing up for you uh, might be very different than what we're seeing right now. And I would mm -hmm. love to know, you know, what your perspective is and what your, your history with this kind of idea has been. And they're happy to share. They'll yes. share with you and then you can become less and less one down and more one up. And then when you start talking to other people and you've been educated, like you've been educated and I've been educated by clients who taught me mm -hmm. things. It just makes it very easy for people to want to buy from you. And especially you used the, the words I put in the book, which is in, intellectual humility. Mm -hmm. Like know that you don't know very many things and then let people correct that by, by sharing with you what you need to know to be able to serve them better. And that, that's as good of a recipe as you need. Well, I think so. Because you don't have to know everything. You can't know everything. <laughs> right. You can hardly know very many things at all. Right. So I think the people that feel insecure about that are the ones that yeah, are more of the show up and throw up type sellers is because they're afraid they'll be exposed that they don't know anything. Well, you just showed yourself not knowing anything just by doing that. Yeah. So yeah, lean into it. Ask a question. Be, be interested. Ask another question. I mean, to your point, I've, I've, gosh, I've never had a customer told me I was asking too many questions. If you're asking thoughtful questions of people. I, I, I think I wrote this on LinkedIn recently about people don't like to be sold to, but they do like to learn. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they do like to learn things that will help them make better decisions. But you know what else they like to do? They like to teach. They, yep. they also like to teach you what you need to know to be successful inside their company. Right. Especially if you've developed the relationship in the first couple meetings, they want to make sure you understand what you need to know to be able to get things done. One of the things I was thinking of with, with the one up, one down idea, which I really liked, is, is it sort of took me back to early boss in my career that used the scorecard. They said we should use with our, 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 our customers we were selling to where basically we graded every interaction. We asked them as basically it was a, a plus one or a minus one. And you could sort of get this cumulative score over the course of your interactions is, you know, if it was zero or less, it was going to be kind of problematic. Not enough value. Not enough value. Yeah. It was right there for everybody to see. When I get back to the point about people making the no decisions too, is I think that, and in my experience is if you can't help the customer get to the point where they do their internal business justification for making a change, then you're going to end up with a no decision, right? So if you don't, if you can't help them get to that point, and this is the point you made before is if you're not leading them there, if you're not helping them get there, they're not going to put the work into doing that justification. And they probably won't do it nearly as well as if you were to guide them through that and help exactly. them make the business case. And, right. and just saying, we know you have this problem and we know it's a pain point for you probably isn't enough anymore. I mean, and maybe in some less sophisticated or complex deals, maybe, but as they become more complex, you have to do a lot more work. Mm-hmm. If if you're well, listening to this, if you're within the voice uh, of, of our voices, if you can hear us, then I would just tell you, you just have to remember uh, when when you have clients that d- decide that they're not going to do anything, it's because they were missing something that they needed. The person who was supposed to be one up is the person who's supposed to make sure that they have everything that they need on their side. Mm-hmm. Because mostly they can't make that justification as easily as you can because you've helped so many people. And you might have to teach them, you know, this is what you need to include in yours. And here's what we see the average cost being for companies and how much time it takes to do these kinds of things. And the more that you can feed them, the better. And so when I started doing an executive briefing, uh, Andy, it was 2001. I had a client who I couldn't get to change a pay rate. Mm-hmm. And in in this particular business that I was in, if people aren't happy, they fire you and they get somebody who looks just like you. I mean, that's it. Like, just like you. No different. In, same database. Everything's the same. And at some point, I realized... You business. Yeah. So yep. that in that business, I started to realize the reason that I'm failing is because they won't raise their pay rate. And so they're not getting what they want because they're under market. Mm-hmm. I spent a year trying to get them to do something. I couldn't get them to do it. And I bludgeoned them in a meeting with a hundred slides of data, and uh, I, I was I was literally not going to lose this argument. Like, <laughs> you're going to have to argue with the Census Bureau, the Bureau of Labor right. Statistics, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Sherm. Like, you have to argue with everybody. Like, I, and, I may not get the deal, but I'm going to be right. Yeah, I will be. I'll be more than right. I'm right, right and 
and repetitively right. <laughs> Some of the data was the same data from different sources, just so they could see, like, everybody agrees on this. At the end of that meeting, the senior leader said to me, that was a really good presentation. Now, he was a Vietnam full bird colonel, like not a, a happy, fuzzy guy, right? Right. And, uh, and I said, thank you. And he said, can I have a copy of that slide deck? Now, nobody had ever asked me for my, you know, self-oriented slide deck with a picture right. of our building on it. And, and I said, why do you need the, the slide deck? And he said, I'm going to be briefing the senior leadership this afternoon at three, and it'd be really helpful to have that. And I said, okay, you can have it. And he said, take your logo off. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I got to take the logo off? Like, I don't even get credit for this thing that I did. And I'm like, okay. I, I already said yes. So I took the logo off. Uh, and I gave it to him. Two hours later, after his meeting, he called me and gave me $2 million to raise the pay rate by $6,000 per person mm -hmm. at the end of that. And it, I would love to tell you that immediately I dropped everything and started doing that. But it took me a couple months. And, and in the intervening months, I went to a, a meeting in Cincinnati and I sat down across from a client and I, I reached into my laptop bag like this to grab the laptop. And the guy sitting across from me said, don't open that laptop lid. And I was like, what? <laughs> he said, don't open that laptop lid. I don't want to see one slide. This is 2001 now. It's 2001. Right. And he doesn't want to see the slide. And I said, well, I have some really interesting ways to show you why we do what we do and how we do it. He goes, listen, I'm going to ask you 15 questions. And if you answer these questions, we might do business together. And I'm like, well, a lot of those questions could probably be answered by this. He goes, leave it in the bag. So I put it back in the bag, and we just talked. Right. And that was it. We just talked. He asked questions. I, I asked questions. We just talked to each other. Uh, and I won that deal. Maybe a month later, a friend of mine called, and he said, you won't believe what happened to me today. And I said, what happened? He said, I had a big presentation, and I walked in. And I put the laptop on the table so I could connect it to their, their thing. And the, the CEO said, if you open that laptop, I'm going to throw your ass out of here. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> How many you knew? <laughs> people really hate these PowerPoint presentations. And I, I don't think it was the PowerPoint. I think it was that they knew, like, I've already seen this from everybody else. Mm -hmm. You're bringing me nothing that I can use to make a better decision. So there's no reason for you to open that. And uh, he said the CEO let the rest of the group ask questions because that's all they wanted to do was to figure out how can you help us. And uh, th that was where it just started to change for me. And at some point, I'd love to tell you that I was fast enough, like I immediately adopted this as my approach, but it took me months. And then I realized, why do we even carry this deck? No one cares. No one cares anymore. They just don't care. And they did care, though, about understanding the environment that they were mm -hmm. in and what kind of challenges they should be addressing. And after I did this for a couple of years, people started calling and saying, are you going to come in at the end of the year and brief us on what you want us to do next year? And I'm like, yeah, of course we are. <laughs> I never thought of such a thing until right. a client said, you know what? And then somebody said, our managers don't know any of this stuff. And this is why they treat people so poorly. And if they knew this data, they would not treat people as bad as they do. Could you come in and talk to our team and explain to them what the labor market's really like? Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, they, they 
they're trying to do better. They're trying to figure out a way to improve their results. Right. And no picture of my building or our footprint was helpful to them. And well, I was going to ask you, explain to people that haven't heard you before talk about this this concept of what you do with your executive briefing. briefing excuse me, because I think it's really, really interesting and, and valuable. Uh, it just started out as what from the story. Like, it was just desperation for me. I thought I was going to lose the account if I didn't do something. And I had to teach them that they had to learn something about themselves and why they were the root cause of their mm-hmm. problem, not me. And changing to 25 other companies wouldn't do anything about it. Um, what I started to do after that was I didn't use a hundred slides. Uh, it turns out like six slides are really good for an executive mm-hmm. briefing, like six slides with good data and, uh, and implications for the client. So those are the things I would tell you start with, like has to be some trend or some force mm-hmm. that will absolutely have an impact on their business or don't bring it in. Like right. that's it. And then justify it with data. So people know that this isn't just a perspective it's an informed and, and, and a very, very good perspective of somebody who's a, a, somebody who does this work you know, every single day. So mm-hmm. it can't just be, we found these cool clips for you. And right. so you, you need to be thoughtful about it. Um, what I do is I open it up and I share, would it be okay if I, I shared with you, this is when I, I always ask for permission when I don't need permission. And then later mm-hmm. on, I just at, tell people what we're going to do. But at the beginning, I said, would it be okay if I share this with you? Because it would explain a little bit about how we think about these things, how we come to help clients produce better results. And I'd love for you to inform me on on what's going on in your world and how these things are showing up in your world, if they are at all. And maybe right. you have something else. And if it is something else, I'd love to know what that is, too. Now we're peers. Right. I'm not I'm not one up I'm better than them. I know more than they do about the decision, but they know a lot more about their industry and their business mm-hmm. than I do. So I'm one down too. And people engage and instead of uh leaning back, Andy, you know, they lean in and they mm-hmm. want to see that data and they're like, "Oh, that's really interesting. We didn't know that that's why we we're having this problem, but this looks like this is what we're running up against." And then they start engaging in that and then they start asking you questions. So it's like well, what have you guys done about that? You know, mm-hmm. what are you seeing working right now? They're trying to solve a problem that they know they have, and they have, remember, dozens of problems. Um, they, they have lots of problems that they're trying, trying to solve. And when you show up and you have insight and you have a perspective and you have the ability to help them make this paradigm shift, I'll tell you, I'll just try to give people some context on this. Sure. I had two false assumptions I had to correct to get the $2 million. Right. Labor is abundant and labor is cheap. That, that was the two. Everybody believed that at the time. Labor is abundant, labor is cheap. So what does that mean? If I don't like Johnny, uh, I'll throw Johnny out the door and you'll give me That's Jimmy. And then right. I would have to tell him, like, you're not going to like Jimmy better either because like, it's how you treat people. It's not us. And then the second thing is, is it's cheap. But it wasn't cheap because everybody was raising rates except for some of the clients that I had who were just holding on like, well, we've been in business since 1894, and you know this is a great company. And if they work here, and I'm like, yeah, you hired four people last year. Right. It, it, they're they're not going to get a job here. Very four got a job here last year. That's it, because they they paid their people really well. I had to get rid of those two assumptions, and then it turns out that a lot of people had those assumptions. And so when you start giving the executive briefing and you show them, labor is tight and mm-hmm. expensive. Now what do you need to do? 
right. we have to start doing something different and we have to start treating people different. And, and that's it. And this is still true now. Like, um, I, I probably don't have to prod you very much to have you remember where you, you sat down with a group of people and uh, I'll, I'll refer to our earlier conversation and bring people up to speed here where somebody says, uh, Andy, what we really need to do is increase our pipeline by 800%. <laughs> and you're like, that is not your problem. Right. <laughs> that is like, that is not the problem. The problem is, is that your effectiveness rate is too low and you're not winning at a high enough percentage right. that you think you need 800%. And, and so that's their assumption, right? We just right. need a bigger pipeline. You don't need a bigger pipeline. Your pipeline's fine. <laughs> you just need to win more. And yeah. and that's that's a false assumption that if they continue to believe it, we'll we'll make them think they need eight hundred and they still won't improve their effectiveness no, at all. Exacerbate yeah. the problem, right. Yeah. Yeah, make the problem worse. Now you just uh, the audience now, you just caught up to a lot of what Andy and I were talking <laughs> about. Well, I wanted to change directions a little bit because yeah, I love again something else you wrote in the book about your talking about being one up is about this is a quote, creating an obligation to serve your clients by becoming the kind of salesperson they need. Yeah. And yeah, you know, my book, your book to a large extent are both about you know, creating these buying experiences that help differentiate you from competition. Uh, and one thing I always, and you, so you're in the staffing business, so I, I don't know yeah, if yours involves hiring sellers at all, but but one thing that increasingly they sort of amused by, if nothing else, is you know, talk to sales leaders about, you know, they've got a hiring requirement and they're, you know, creating a definition of what it is that they need from the the person, the type of qualities and skills and so on. And then I'll say, hmm, have you ever asked your buyers what they need from your salespeople? And the answer is always no. In in book number five, Leading Growth, I have a section where I explain you're hiring for your clients. They yeah. have to want to buy from that person. Right. They have to want to work with that person. Right. So two things I think are true. This is what I learned. I don't want to hire anybody that I don't want to work with any every day. Like mm-hmm. if I don't want to work with you every day, I don't know, I can't hire you. Right. Uh, and so if I don't feel that, and then the other thing is, is I need to talk to a client. I need to talk to one of their past clients. I need to understand like I need some references, not about from their boss. I don't care what their boss says about them. They're going to say something nice anyway. I want to hear what kind of a, a performance they gave to the people that bought from them. So, but that's who I'm hiring them for, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to talk to you. You're going to be out talking to other people. <laughs> you know, you you need to make sure that that group of people thinks that this is a good person to work with. Yeah, and I think well, I think as an organization, you should be more methodical about talking to your buyers about what their experience has been dealing with your sellers. And I don't mean just a one loss analysis because there are lots of factors there that have nothing to do with the performance of the seller in the moment, but you can survey your buyers about this and you know, blend it with some you know, interviews. So you do qualitative and quantitative um, both research about it. So you really understand. It seems like there's really missing data for most companies. Yeah. And, and you also have to think about, you know, what does that client need? Like, what do right. they need? Do they, they need from- to know about your company? Probably not. And, and so when I was telling you about doing that experiment, I had four people get up and not be allowed to talk about those things. Three of them mm-hmm. did just like a, a brilliant job. And they were having fun with it. 
and people were starting to see that I was watching the light bulb sort of go on. Like Mm -hmm. you can actually just have a conversation about the problem that they have and share with them, you know, without telling them like, tell me what your problem is. You can just go ahead and start explaining, you know, and this group had, they, they did a recognition and gratitude kind of things. Right. Like they, they know the attrition numbers, they know all of that stuff. So they had the data and then it was easy to get into a conversation about, you know, here's what we're seeing and there are things that you can do about it. You know, like you, you should have some sort of communication with them to express the, the gratitude that they're with you within 15 days, you know, and, and that keeps people there and they have all this really, really good, rich data. Right. But you, you don't have to ask the person, do you have an attrition problem when 4.3 million people quit their job every month since August of last year? Last like you could be pretty sure everybody's got this problem. And the baby boomers have retired, 21 million of them. And, and now people are starting to say, how do we get the baby boomers back to work? Oh, how really? do we do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, like, well, you've got more insight into that because you're they're in the staffing super business, competent. But... They know how to do everything. Well, no, not <laughs> that. Is is I thought the problem, at least pre-pandemic, was the baby boomers wouldn't wouldn't go away, <laughs> and and there was a lot of resentment being built up about that. But you're yeah. saying now they did start retiring during the pandemic, and now their skills are needed. Three million in the third quarter of 2020. Three million baby boomers leave the workforce. And so you, you start looking at numbers like that, and then they're like, the young people are great, but they don't know how to do anything yet. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we, need, we need people who still know how to do things. And they're like, how do we solve this? Try to get the baby boomers to come back. Um, a lot of them just in the pandemic, when they weren't allowed to go into work, they just decided this is it. Like, I'm done. I'm not coming back. But we need them. You know, we, just, we have uh, what's called a demographic drought. We had the lowest birth rate in 2021 since World War II, about 1%. And World War II was 6% uh, growth. Mm. And all of the men were in Europe. So, you know, uh, we have a problem. We don't have enough babies and we're not replacing. And remember, we lost a million people in this country to COVID. You know, so there's a lot of things going on. And I mean, this is the kind of stuff like you have to understand to, to, to talk about this with clients, but not maybe this, but supply chain issues, the, right. the effect of inflation. Uh, when people are in distribution or, or e-commerce, you know, the gas prices, it hurts the individual, but it hurts businesses you know, much more to have to pay, you know, maybe 40% more for diesel and things like that. There's a whole bunch of things, but you have right. to just pay attention to all those and be the person who is one up. So that right. you can give people the best help. Very interesting. This is a uh, sales nerd talk with uh, Anthony and Andrew. <laughs> yeah, but this is this is stuff people need to know, right? It's, is we were talking about this before we started recording. It's just you know there is this trend. It's part of what you know the reaction to which I wrote my book is this idea that we can make sales so cookie cutterish and that. You know, every situation is just the same as the situation before, and the people you're talking to are going to answer questions just the way they did. And it's like, now context and a, and a different perspective is just central to your yeah. ability to be successful in this profession. Is is not be uh, not think every situation is the same, but be alive to the possibilities that that there's difference. I. You know, I like to say is that you know, acumen is not about knowing how one situation is similar to the other. It's knowing how they differ. 
Yeah. And that, that's one of the things that people are afraid of. They're like, what if the client has a different perspective? Well, steal it from them. Like, f- find out why they have that perspective. I right. mean, maybe there's something valuable that you can share with other people because you just learned throughput from somebody, you know, and, <laughs> right. and, and, and you now have a way to talk about it. Like, you, you can learn that and then take it and apply it later on. And sometimes it's the right thing to talk about, and other times it's something else. But if you don't have other people's perspectives, I know, Andy, this is like uh, heterodoxy, I think, here to say you don't have to be offended that other people have different beliefs than you. Right. <laughs> I know right now we're not supposed to. We're all supposed to have the same exact set of beliefs uh, based on whatever the political narratives are. But that will keep you really dumb for a very long time, you know, and you yeah. just have to recognize there's there's different views of these things that people value in different ways. And uh, the more of them, you know, the the easier it is for you to figure out how to help people. Right. And if you fear asking questions or you fear being exposed for not knowing something there, therefore you don't ask the question then again, you're just sort of dooming yourself to failure at that regard at that point. So I'm always, I'm always willing to, to be a little less ignorant by just asking the question and revealing, uh, I don't understand what it is that you're trying to say to me mm-hmm. and I'm going to need you to dumb it down so that I can understand it. Right. And, and no one's ever mad at you for that. No one's ever mad at you for that. Never been mad at me for that. No. I mean, I, I part, you know, we talk about, it sort of strikes me as, as our conversation today, but also other conversations I have with with uh, people on the show is there's a point we're all new, right, in this job. Mm-hmm. And and we are like one down for a long period of time. <laughs> and that's till, okay. Till about, as far as I can tell, late into your 40s. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. And the way that you work with being one down is you ask questions and you keep asking questions so you truly understand you know, what is important to the buyer, what are the things that are most important for them that you can help them with, and don't be afraid of asking the questions. It's the only way you're going to learn. Yeah. It's the only way that you're going to learn. And look, I hated school. I, I tried to drop out of high school every day. I, I never wanted to go there. And then when I went to college and I was able to sort of direct my own learning. I really liked it, but I, I would tell you people love to teach you and, and mm-hmm. they love to learn at the same time and to, to treat this like it's a transaction and that I have to just prove that I'm good enough by talking about the first eight slides. It, it just doesn't how it works. You're not, they're not learning anything and you're not teaching anything. Right. And, and it, it just doesn't work the way that it, it needs to work. Now I would say, Andy, in my opinion, and I'll, I'll get your opinion on this too, because I'd love to sure. hear what you have to say about this. Like, I think the complex sale is getting more complex, and and I think it's getting more difficult for salespeople to be successful. Mm-hmm. And if we don't start pushing towards this idea of we have to be one up in our domain, and we have to learn from everybody that we talk to about their domain, so that we can continue to be more up uh, all more of the time. And I would say. You go out and you win a big account. Let's say it's a $7 million account. They buy mm-hmm. every 10 years. Uh, over the next five years, as things change, you're going to have some new information disparity. And mm-hmm. you're going to have to go in and explain to them what's changed over time. And so you won't run out of this. I think it's just going to be more critical 
and that if you can't help with the paradigm shift and to get rid of some of those false assumptions and bring them up to what's now, I think selling is going to be incredibly hard for people. Yes. And I, I believe that one of the critical skills and perspectives I have on that, which goes along with what you're writing about one up, one down is, is, is because you're talking about this in a very non judgmental way, right? Is we're not judging people for, being one down, this is not uh, you know personal assessment of them. Unless it's ourselves. You know. Unless it's ourselves, right? We can judge ourselves, right? Yeah. But, you know, people, people need help. This is why they're talking to sellers. You know, at, at the end of the day, is, you know, back to the Gartner study, is, is, is why do buyers want to talk to sellers? Because you can help them think more deeply and broadly about the challenges they have and the outcomes they can achieve by addressing them. Chris, Chris Beal, uh, his, mm-hmm. his, his quote starts, I think chapter one, uh, I, I think it yes, is. It chapter does. One. Yeah. And when he said this, I, he didn't actually say what is written down on my slide deck, but it was close. What he said is people buy from people they trust to make a decision. They don't trust themselves to make. Mm hmm. And they want to be certain, and they want somebody who can help guide them through that process. So people buy from people that they trust more than they trust themselves to make a decision. And and that's the game that you're playing. Like, are you the one that they trust to make the decision for them? Because, Andy, we are making the decision for them through selling. We're, We're giving them this information. And when they decide to choose us, it's because they took our perspective and they believed what we said was true. And they think that we are helping them make the decision that they might not have made without us. And right. and that's really what you're supposed to be doing. And if you just sort of build everything around that and just decide, like, what do I have to learn and what do I have to teach? And how do I help them see something that they haven't seen about themselves that would allow them to make a change? Because if your competitor's solution uh, isn't working. I don't know why you think yours is going to be any better. Like mm-hmm. I, I would tell you when you get to the last chapter of the book, Andy, at some point, maybe I'll give you a copy of a real book, but there's no galleys right now because there's no paper, no, but I'm but working, I'm working on it. When, when you realize that you're consultative, what I would tell you that happened is that the client took your advice and your recommendations outside of buying from you and outside of buying your solution, even though they did those two things. Mm -hmm. They bought from you and they bought from your... But when you tell them, I need you to give me $2 million to straighten out your pay rate, uh, and and they give you the $2 million, you're consultative. Mm -hmm. Like, I I already had the business. Like, I got nothing new that I, I didn't already have except for the ability to perform better for them because they made changes. Yep. Love it. And so right, you, have well, to go, you got to go tell people they're not allowed to have an 800% increase in pipeline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's coming up this year, folks. Um, oh, yeah, that's a bigger topic. That's a, we're, getting, we're getting to that. So, uh, so, Anthony, when this airs, your book will still be in pre-order. Uh, we encourage people to go pre-order it. Absolutely. So tell folks so they can go do that. Amazon.com is the best place to go order that in if you send me your receipt to, uh, let's go with uh, Anthony at B2BSalesTraining.com, mm-hmm. uh, we will send you a workbook and some other stuff to go along with the book for you. So no Excellent. matter if you buy it early, whatever you see in the way of um, 
bonuses that we give you, you can get the bonuses just by sending us a, a receipt. Excellent. So, okay, order at Amazon.com and follow Anthony's blog, his writing. So you, you're still – so you've been – you had a record. At, we haven't talked for a couple of years, but I assume you're still blogging every day, writing an article every day. Every day, 12 years. 12 years. So how many – Articles. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I should look. It's hard now. Well, we left Word WordPress for HubSpot, right? And I moved over forty five hundred when we did that, maybe last July or August or something like that. Yeah. So, so however many days in between, I've I've racked up. I don't know, maybe hundreds more. Right. So, uh, if you're not following Anthony, follow Anthony's his writings. I do. Because I think he's one of the more thoughtful people, if not the most thoughtful people in our business. And um, yeah, just a wealth of content to, to choose from. So, Anthony, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you for letting me to have a blurb on the back of your book. It is. It is. I'm, oh, thank re- you I'm just repeating this for people if they got here late uh, and, and they're getting to the end of this and they skipped over any part of this. It's your best book. And uh, I'm thrilled that you're having the success with it. It's amazing. Well, thank you. you did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm excited for your book because, uh, yeah, it aligns. We're well aligned on many things. So Yeah, I think so, too. All right. Anthony, thank you. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen, as always. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Anthony Iannarino, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.